Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes it's easier to sing it than to live it. May we have a radical obedience and following of such a great God who would die for every single one of our sins and secure eternity forever and ever, a place for us with you. God, we owe you everything. May we grasp it afresh today. Lord, I ask that you would empower me to preach your holy word right now with a passion and a love and a seriousness. Lord, that you would grant me a spirit-filled liberty and favor and blessing. I pray it would rest upon me as I preach, not for my sake, but for these who have gathered here today. You have a message for them right where they are. Speak truth, Lord, and may the truth set them free. Lord, for those who do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. For these who may have strayed, may they come back today. May you strengthen our resolve as followers of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Growing up as kids, I remember playing all sorts of games. Follow the leader. Or Simon Says. Well, today we're going to see how well some of you remember Simon Says. Okay, I'm going to review two simple instructions. You ready? Here they are. If I say Simon Says, do it. If I don't say Simon Says, don't. Okay, ready? Everybody stand up. Here we go. We're going to play Simon Says. Here we go. Stand up. You who stood up, you're out. You're out. Okay? I want to review the instructions again. If I say Simon says, you do it. If I don't say Simon says, you don't. Okay, stand up. Here we go. Very good. (laughs) Simon says, stand up. Don't you dare stand up if you're out already. You stay down. You stay down. Don't even try it. Okay, Simon says, touch your nose. Touch your ear. You're out if you're touching your ear. This is not that hard. Come on. (laughs) Simon says, stand on your left foot. Stand on your right foot. You're out if you moved. Okay, you get the idea. Go ahead and sit down. Okay, it's hard to play that. If you sat down, you're out. (laughs) If you sat down, you're out. You guys are good. Let's hear it for these guys. Woo! All right, you can go ahead and sit down. You sat down, you're out. (laughs) Simon says, sit down. Simon says, game over. Oh, man. Some of you are really good. Some of you stunk. I mean, you're just bad. It was unbelievable. It's one thing to follow the leader in a game. It's another to follow the Lord in life. And some of us are really good at times with following the Lord, and some of us really stink. Today, God is going to remind us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you are not going to like what you hear. Too bad. You're going to hear it anyway. And you're going to be challenged. Some of you are going to be encouraged and stretched. But God is going to teach us what it truly means to be a disciple of his, what it means to be a follower of his. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 9. 
We're going to start a new series today. Jesus said what? We're going to look at these radical red letters of the Lord. These incredibly hard statements that he spoke. And we're going to dive into them and we're going to seek to understand them and how they apply to us as his followers. We're going to start off today, Luke chapter 9, learning what it means to be a follower of the Lord. Starting in verse 57. Verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. Follow along as I read and we see three people in this passage. Three people called to follow. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you, Lord, wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord... Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Following the leader means... First, relinquish creature comforts. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Be willing to relinquish creature comforts. Now, you've got to love this first guy's enthusiasm. I want to follow you. And Jesus is traveling through, going from village to village, we learn by way of context in verse 56. Unknown place engaged in an itinerant ministry. And these words are uttered by this unnamed person. He's bold. He's outspoken. This commitment, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. This man wants to walk with Jesus, and he wants to listen to Jesus, and he wants to get in on the action with Jesus, and Jesus is going to teach him, and as he teaches him, he teaches us. Following me is not a fly-by-night decision. Following me, being a disciple, is not a spur-of-the-moment kind of choice. It is harder than you realize, but it's always worth it. This man really didn't understand what it meant to follow the Lord. He wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the master teach. He wanted to travel with the master and watch him perform miracles in people's lives. Jesus wanted to teach him it's going to be harder than you realize. If you're really going to follow me, it's going to be hard. And you need to be prepared for that. Some of us here this morning don't really understand what it means to follow Jesus. We we think following Jesus is getting up on our timetable on a Sunday morning, picking one of five services during the day, sitting on cushioned pews or chairs, and then doing the same thing next week. We don't understand following Jesus is much more than that. Jesus' surprising response. Now, now you'd think when a guy says, I want to follow you wherever you want to go, Jesus would have said, praise and welcome aboard. And you know what? 101 discipleship course for him, Peter. Get ready to give him the orientation. Doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, he says, oh, well, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what Jesus said? The creatures of earth are better off than the creator of earth. 
The creatures of this earth are better off than the creator of this earth. Every creature has a place it calls home, especially springtime. You see that? In my house, we got a squirrel living in a river birch tree, and we got chipmunks in the wood pile, and under a flowering uh, crab tree, they've burrowed nests, and we have bunny rabbits living in our cotoneaster bushes, and birds in a maple tree in, in 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 the front, and Jesus has no nest. He has no home. I love the words to Rich Mullins' song, You Did Not Have a Home. Here are some of them. But you did not have a home. No, you did not have a home. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of what? A homeless man. You had the shoulders of a homeless man. You did not have a home. Jesus wants us to get this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the follower of a homeless man. You've seen homeless people. You're the follower of a homeless man. And don't ever forget that. He called himself the Son of Man. It's the Lord's favorite title of himself. It's used over 80 times in the gospel. Son of Man, Son of Man, but the Son of Man. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, over 80 times. It's used in reference to Jesus' humanity. He is the Son of God, fully God, but he is also fully man. He is the Son of Man. And it's, it's in reference to that humanity that he relates to us. He was born a man, the incarnation. He died as a man for the sins of man, our redemption. And he says, are you sure you want to follow me? I have nowhere to lay my head. To follow me means sacrifice your comforts. To follow me means give up what most consider necessities in this world. To follow me means living a life of contentment. Is this what you want to do, sir? You want to learn to live a life of sacrifice and contentment. Oh, contentment, that's a dirty word in America. Who wants to be contented? This is very hard for us. I mean, honestly, we're so incredibly whiny and selfish. We are. We complain if our bread isn't toasted just right. It's too dark or too light or the butter's too hard, it won't melt. I mean, we whine if the temperature is too hot or too cold. We think we're going to die. I mean, we bellyache about a pillow at a hotel, but we have a bed and we're able to stay in a hotel because the pillow's too hard or it's too soft or I can't sleep. Jesus doesn't have a bed and doesn't have a pillow. You really want to follow him? We groan if the shower, it's not hot enough. Where's the hot water? Jesus, like, never takes showers. You're following a homeless man. Think about this. We, we mumble if we can't fix our coffee just the way that we like it. We've got to have our cream and our sugar and our honey, or we've got to have our latte or espresso or have it just right. No wonder we make such poor followers of Jesus. We're so selfish, so whiny. So mumbly and groany and complainy. I want you to understand to follow Jesus means to live as a stranger in this world. It means to live by faith in this world. It means daily trust in your heavenly Father to provide. It means to learn to pray daily. Give us this day our, our daily bread. Jesus travels from place to place, living day by day by day, relying on the Father's provision. 
through the generosity and hospitality and ministry of other people. And Jesus is telling this guy, it's not going to be easy if you want to follow me. And he's telling you, it is not going to be easy to follow me. Sure you want to follow me? It's going to take resolve. It's going to take trust. You sure you want to follow me? You sure you want to learn to sacrifice? You sure you understand what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, Jesus would have made a horrible businessman. I mean, you're supposed to get him in first, grab him, and then tell him the details. Not Jesus. I want you to understand something about our Lord. Last week, Easter services was the biggest, highest attended service in the history of this church. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what Jesus did when he grabbed a big crowd together? He scared them off. He had a big crowd together at once and he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they said, we're out of here. <laughs> Some of you will be scared off today because you don't really want to be a follower of Jesus. And that's okay. Can I tell you why? Because God is not impressed with big numbers. He's not. He wants quality over quantity. He wants to know who is really serious about following me and who is not. Who are the true disciples? He's not interested in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pseudo-followers getting their religious fix on a Sunday morning. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus was a homeless man. He has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home of his own. He has no bed of his own. He has no pillow of his own. He has minimal earthly stuff. I took my two youngest sons, Weston and Dawson, to Florida this past week. I just got in yesterday. It's horrible down there. Mid-80s and sunny every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. It's like, oh, man. Nancy, get my resume ready. <laughs> it's just so beautiful down there. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I told the boys, I said, pack your stuff, and we're men. We're taking carry-ons. We're not checking luggage, Okay. Minimum stuff here. Duffel bag is all we need. Put it in there. We're on and off the plane. That's all there is to it. Do you realize we had more stuff in our duffel bags than Jesus had all life long? He's a homeless man. At one point, we drove along Palm Beach. My dad lives in Palm Beach Gardens where we stayed. And we drove along Palm Beach, and there are houses on Palm Beach ranging from 25 to $45 million. They're like castle estates. We saw scores of yachts that were worth more than those homes and, and private jets by the dozens lining the runway at West Palm Airport. You know what Jesus proves here? Homes are overrated. He's a homeless man. Homes are overrated. And some of you are in debt up to your eyeballs trying to press people with your homes and your cars. You're completely confused on what wants and needs are. You give yourself this false sense of achievement and purpose and self-importance by all these things you own, but you don't own them. The bank owns them and the bank owns you. When are you going to learn? It's not about stuff. So enamored with junk, with stuff. Now, while we were down in West Palm, it's a pretty ritzy area, nice area. My dad has a home there. And I said, hey, hey, hey boys, we're going to find a thrift shop. There's got to be good stuff in it down here. <laughs> so 
So we went to a Goodwill store. I took my dad, this rich attorney from New Jersey, lives in a beachfront home in South Jersey, has a home in Florida, drives really fancy cars. I said, you're going, to, you're going to Goodwill. What's that? I said, it's a thrift shop, Pop. You're coming in. What? Yep, you're coming. We t- he ended up buying two shirts. They're the exact same shirt. Like brand new, out-of-the-box type shirts, fancy shirts. I said, why are you buying two the same? He said, I'm going to leave one in my home in Florida and take one in my home in New Jersey. I was like, it still didn't get it, but, but it, well, we're stretching them, okay? By the way, it's one of the shirts I got down there. Bought myself some nice threads. Looking good, huh? Yeah. Now, some of, some of you don't like that. My pastor bought a shirt at a Goodwill? He went shopping there. Now, I just want to say it this way. If you have a problem with that, you're certainly going to have a real problem following Jesus, who was a homeless man. If you have a problem with a pastor wearing a shirt from a thrift shop, then obviously you can't follow Jesus, who was a homeless man. Be careful of the thoughts that you think. Be careful. The Lord is teaching also a lesson on contentment. Yes, you can like nice things, but you don't have to have nice things. And you can enjoy quality, but you don't have to be enamored with stuff. If Jesus can be satisfied with less, you can be satisfied with less his follower. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to follow the homeless man? That's the question. Following the leader means relinquish creature comforts. Following the leader means no more excuses. No more excuses. Verse 59. We've got a second guy. Jesus now invites this guy, talks to him. Follow me. He said, Lord, permit me first. I'm willing to follow you, but permit me first to go bury my father. And Jesus' response, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Oh, that's nice. So Jesus calls this unnamed person, this unknown individual, and says, follow him. And this is what Jesus commonly did. He says, follow me. John 1, 43, he found Philip. He said, follow me. Luke 5, 27, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. He said, follow me. That guy left everything, got up and began following him. Luke 9, 23, he said to all of them, follow me. Luke 18, 22, Jesus heard this and he said to him, come follow me. Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning. Follow me. Follow me. You have a decision to make. Are you going to follow the Lord or not? The man's immediate response is an immediate excuse. Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. Now, it seems like a very reasonable excuse, does it not? I want to follow you, but just not yet. I have a family obligation. Now, what is this family obligation? I do not believe that the man's dad had just died. If that was the case, he wouldn't be there listening to Jesus. He'd be meeting with the funeral home director. And if that was the case, if his dad had just died, he wouldn't be in public because he'd be religiously or ceremonially unclean for a week after touching a dead body. So his dad, in my estimation, is, he's not dead. His dad is probably going to die soon. What does soon mean? He's close to death. It could be days. It could be months. It could be years. 
I mean, how many times has a doctor told family members concerning an ailing loved one, listen, they only have a few days or a few weeks left, and they live for years? How many times has a doctor said, oh, they're going to live for a few more years, and they die within a few days? Doctors don't know. This man doesn't know. He's saying, oh, oh, just permit me first to bury my dad. What he's asking for is delayed discipleship. He's asking for time. He's asking to live life on his timetable. He's saying, God has to fit into my calendar. God has to fit onto my timetable. That is not following God. Following God is saying, God, I fit on your timetable. I do what you want when you want it. That is a true follower of Jesus Christ. A true follower of Jesus Christ doesn't say, well, listen, you know, God, if it kind of fits with my calendar, I'll, I'll, I'll fit it in. Well, you know, we got the kids' sports, and we got this, and we got my parents, and you know what? I'll forget church, and you forget to serve in him, and you're not a follower of God. You're a pseudo-follower of God because you're fitting God into your calendar instead of saying, God, whatever you want, I'm on your calendar. Whenever you want it, God, I'm on your timetable. That is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is a follower of God. Jesus gives this astounding answer. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. I'm not buying it. Excuse rejected. In other words, your best excuse is a lame excuse when it comes to not following Jesus. Your best excuse is a lame excuse when it comes to not following the Lord. And Jesus has no time for your lame excuses or my lame excuses. And Jesus sees right through our lame excuses. Jesus doesn't want to hear about social obligations. Jesus wants to know if you're obligated to him or not. That's what he says. I don't care about your social obligations, Jesus says. I want to know if you're obligated to the God of this universe who created you and died on your behalf. That's what I want to know. Now we're talking follower of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking disciple of the Lord. So, so stop using your family as an excuse not to follow. Oh, it sounds so pious. It sounds so spiritual. And really, it's carnal and selfish. Don't use your family as an excuse not to follow the Lord. Well, you know, my parents need me too, or my kids, their sports schedule, and, you know, my boss is expecting and work requires, and my spouse asked me to. You never be much of a follower of Jesus. If you care so much about others and so little for God, He wants to know, are you going to follow him or not? Enough with the excuses. He's tired of hearing them. He's tired. That's why some of us are very poor followers, because we're very good excuse makers. Jesus isn't asking for excuses. He's asking for you to follow him. Now, I want to clarify, God is not calling on people to break the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. He's not calling on us to not honor our father and mother. He's calling on us to fulfill the greatest of commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. That's what he's calling on us to do. 
not break any commandment, but fulfill the greatest commandment. Now, what do these red letters mean? Allow the dead to bury their own dead. It means the spiritually dead can take care of the physically dead. Those who don't care about God, that are not kingdom mindset people, that are not followers of Jesus, they can take care of the physical things. They can take care of the physically dead. In other words, you have a more important, higher calling on your life. That's what he's saying. Choose the things of eternal life over the things of physical life every single solitary time. That's what it means to follow God. Choose the things of eternal life over the things of physical life. Following the leader means relinquish creature comforts. It means no more excuses. It means proclamation is the priority. Look at this, second half of verse 60. Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, this is a proclamation for you. He doesn't say, and you pastors, and you church staff do this, and you Sunday school teachers do this, and you small group or life group leaders do this, or you parents or grandparents do this. He says, you, if you claim to be a follower, this is what you are to do. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Get going. It's active. It's energized. It's not this being a sedentary saint sitting on our backside, being comfortable in this life. It's going out there and speaking to people on behalf of the Lord because this world is dying and going to hell and facing the judgment of a holy, righteous God. And they need to know about his death on the cross, and his love for them, and his forgiveness of sin. He's saying proclamation of God's kingdom can't wait. Go and proclaim it. It's too important. Go and proclaim it. It's like the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples. Proclaim. Get vocal. Be outspoken. Share the good news. Proclaim it everywhere. Tell everyone everywhere about God's kingdom. People you know. People you don't know, people that are complete strangers you've never met before in your life, tell them about the kingdom of God. There's no place we should not be telling others about God's kingdom. Tell them at school, tell them in the classroom, tell them in the neighborhood, tell them at the park, tell them at work, tell them at the restaurant, tell them on a plane, tell them at the grocery store, tell them in the post office, tell them at the barber shop, tell them on the golf course, tell them everywhere. Tell them about God. Went to a gym while I was down in Florida. Yes, I work out while I'm on vacation. I don't eat very well, so I work out. I'm not like the rest of you who eat so healthy on vacation. Sarcasm insert right there. So I got a day membership at at LA Fitness down there, and I went in there, and I'm I'm lifting that 450 pounds bench. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I get on the machines anyway. And so I got, a, I got a marathon shirt on. Some lady comes up, sees my marathon shirt, starts talking to me about marathons. Never going to see this woman again in my life. She's going to hear about Jesus. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So I share Christ with her is what I do. I, I witness to her and I encourage her to place her faith in Jesus. We're at a restaurant another night and we're done, at the, uh, done eating and uh, a guy named Odin was his name. He was the busboy. And I just stayed behind to talk to Odin. And I witnessed to him about the Lord, shared Christ with him. And I asked him if there's anything I could pray for him about. He said, you know, I really need direction and wisdom in this life. 
I said, I know someone that can give you wisdom and direction. I shared Christ. Why do I do those things? Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus, you proclaim the name of the Lord to people. Followers of the Lord talk to others about the Lord. People who are not followers of the Lord do not talk to people about the Lord. So are you a follower or not? Because if you never talk to people about the Lord and share the kingdom of God and eternal life, you are not a follower of the Lord. Proclaim it, Jesus said, if you are my follower. Those who are followers will proclaim. Those who are not and are pseudo-followers and live in the fear of man instead of the fear of God, will not follow God. Will you now become a follower of God? He wants to know. Will you start to follow me and start telling people about me and forgiveness and the cross and salvation and heaven? Following the leader means relinquish creature comforts, no more excuses. Proclamation is the priority for a follower of Jesus. And following the leader means no looking back. No looking back. Verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we have this third person who's got this initial enthusiasm and gusto and count me in, Lord, I'm ready to go, but his enthusiasm is tempered with an exception. His following comes with a footnote, but, and then he gives this quick little excuse, let me go say goodbye to those at home. And again, it seems like a very reasonable request. Let me just go home, say goodbye to some people. It's understandable. They're family members. They're loved ones. It's the same exact thing that Elisha asked of Elijah. We see this in 1 Kings 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he was the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. It's a call to ministry, a call to follow him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again. He said, yes, permission granted. For what have I done to you? Jesus, I believe, is drawing a comparison to this passage, but drawing a different conclusion. He's saying, following me is more important and more urgent than following Elijah. I'm the Messiah and my message can't wait. I am God. I am your creator. You follow me. That's what he's saying. Jesus is requiring total and immediate allegiance. And this man is asking for more time. And Jesus' response, the time is now. You don't put me off. No one is more important than me. And then he says these words. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. So he says there's no exceptions. No one. Now, this must have been a shocker to both of these guys. They, they just use reasonable excuses, and God doesn't give them any praise. He says, I don't think you understand what it means to follow me. 
And this is more of an educational warning. It's not necessarily a a rebuke. He's teaching them, and he's teaching us, and he teaches them now with an illustration, this farming illustration. No one after putting his hand on the plow and looking back. It's the picture of a farmer with one hand on the plow, one hand with a goading and with a stick, the oxen, and his eyes, both eyes focused on the line in front of him so that he can plow a straight line and finish it. There's a picture of an Amish farmer plowing. Look at that man leaning over, looking between the horses over the plow. He, he's, he's, he's fixed and focused on that line in the field and disking the soil and turning it over, and nothing's going to distract that guy or detour that guy. He's totally dedicated to the task at hand to get the job done. That's what it takes to be a follower. Focused, fixed on the line and straightness with God Almighty. He says, what kind of follower are you? The foolish farmer starts plowing and starts looking back and looking around, quits in the middle, and he's all over the place before you know it. It's all crooked, the field. No farmer can plow a straight line looking back over his shoulder. No follower can plow a straight line for the Lord, constantly looking around and being distracted by the sins of this world. Can't be done. There's consequences to looking back. Israel, just ask Israel when they looked back after the Exodus, oh, we should go back to Egypt. Cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and dying in that wilderness. There's consequences to look back. Just just ask Lot's wife, looking back at Sodom and all the sin in that city. Oh, my home and oh, my stuff and pillar of salt. You don't look back once you start following Jesus. And some of you have started looking around. And and the world is starting to to just enrapture you a little bit. Now you're starting to go crooked and you're starting to make decisions you've never made and you're starting to lie a little bit and steal a little bit and a little immorality here and this and that. And you're all over the place. Discipleship is constant and continual commitment. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's constant and it's continual commitment. Keep plowing ahead. Undivided interests. And Jesus is worth it. Eternity is worth it. God's kingdom deserves our undivided attention. God's kingdom deserves our best. Give God your best and stop looking back and stop looking around. I want you to understand what he says. Backward lookers are not fit for God's kingdom. That's what he says. is not fit for the kingdom of God. And so you got to stop and you got to wonder right away. How many people that we think are prodigals are really pagans? How many people that we thought were saved are really lost? They're not children of God. Parable of the four kinds of soil in Matthew 13. The seed of the word of God is sown and some falls on roadside soil. And they just never understood the truth and instantly it's snatched away. And some seed falls on rocky soil and immediately they receive it with joy. But then affliction and persecution arises and they fall away. Some seed falls on thorny soil and then the worries of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. It becomes unfruitful. But some seed falls on good soil. And they hear the word and they understand it. And they bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Be good soil. 
let the word of God take root in your life and let it bear fruit for his kingdom. Be good soil. Be a good follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I do believe there are believers who turn back and go crooked. Even believers can mess up a field they're plowing in. They can go astray, wander from the straight and narrow, fall into every sort of sin imaginable. And and he says they're not fit. There's another meaning for not fit. It means not suitable, not usable. It means distracted and divided followers aren't helpful to the kingdom's sake because they're all over the place. He's saying you need a focused dedication. You need an undivided loyalty. Here's the really good news. The gracious mercy of God, even with foolish farmers and even with foolish followers, for those who fall away and repent can be restored. Just ask Peter. Peter was all over the place on his plow. He's denying here and then he's denying again and then he's denying a third time with cursing. And yet, he repented and God restored him. Some of you here, you've been veering over here into this kind of sin and veering over there into that kind of sin and just seek his forgiveness. And his grace is there. The father will fully embrace you again. I love the picture of the prodigal son being embraced by the father. The father who's been waiting and watching. For some of you, your heavenly father has been waiting and watching for you. It's time to come back home time to start following the Lord again. Let him embrace you again. Let him restore you. Let him forgive you. Following, what does it mean? Let's say it together. It means relinquish creature comforts, no more excuses, proclamation is the priority, and no looking back. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you are believers, but you've been plowing crooked paths recently. And it's time to get back on the straight and narrow. For you, just confess your sin to God right now. Ask for God's forgiveness. Ask for that grace. For others, you need to renew commitments to not be so caught up in the stuff, the materialism of this world. To start boldly proclaiming the kingdom and his name to others. to not use social obligations as an excuse anymore for following the Lord. Just talk to the Lord right now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you here this morning, you're ready to follow Jesus. You want to know the Lord personally. You praise him for his love for dying on the cross and you're ready to commit to him. And you may say, what do I do, Scott? I want to follow Jesus. The quietness of your heart with faith, I invite you to call out to him right now. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. 
I want to learn what it means. I know it will be hard at times, but you are worth it. Please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please forgive me, I pray. I want to be your child. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we just would love to encourage you in that decision.